0: This week on the short game we spoil the secret of good old Christmas duck. Welcome to the Short Game. This is the inaugural episode of the Short Game, a uh, podcast celebration of video game storytelling and craft for people who have like jobs and stuff. <laughs> I am I am your host. Can I say host? Is that a thing? Am I a host? Wow, You're hosting guys! Me? I'm a host. Am I a host? Congratulations! All right, I'm going to go with host because uh, you know no one else has taken that job yet. I'm your host. I'm Reagan Kelly. Uh, I am, uh, the pilot of this, uh, Malaysian plane.
1: Is that Ooh. too soon? Oh. Too soon, man. Yeah. Damn. They haven't even found it yet.
0: Oh, you're right. I really shouldn't have gone there. Uh, and I will be joined this week, or episode, uh, by my brother, Shane Kelly. That's me, Shane Kelly. Describe yourself, Shane. I would say that I am uh, in many ways similar to you, Reagan, as we are identical twins. We have that in common. And, uh, we've got one third wheel here with us today. Uh, Nate. Nate Heininger. Describe Hello, yourself, everybody. Nate.
1: I don't look anything like you two. I am working on a
0: beard. That's so what I got we... going. Actually. it's actually uh, well, kind of embarrassing. We all three are. Well, are we all three neck beards at this point?
1: Yeah. No, clean. I have cleaned that. You have a clean neck... beard. My my neck grows at a rate of at least three times the rest of my face, so that is something I have to keep on top of uh, pretty frequently.
0: Mm-hmm. You're crossed to bear. Yep. It's a hard life. Well, I'm glad that we've all three been able to get together for this, as this is the inaugural episode of The Short Game, a podcast that I've been really wanting to uh, take a crack at for a little while now. So the concept of the show, The Short Game, it came to me a little while ago when... I've been playing a lot of games from things like the Humble Bundle and Steam Sales, and I've got this Steam library that's just overflowing with games. And recently, I just decided I needed to cut through some of that, and I started trying to go through and play the shortest ones first. And I found that a lot of the shortest games in the Steam library... It's actually, first of all, really hard to kind of figure out which games are short, because... Length is such a selling point with games these days you know they they all kind of want you to see them as an epic experience, something that's going to take you forty hours to complete, something that's yep. going to own your life for the next two weeks or Absolutely. However long. i mean
1: that's you usually hear that very early on in the pitching when someone's telling you about a new game they 're like, oh man, it's apparently like forty five hours at least like oh definitely it's at least fifty hours, and that 's only if you do the main quest
0: they like to use the word deep. yeah. And it's like I don't know if that really counts. Deep. What is deep? I don't know either. But uh I think about games like Skyrim that I've invested just significant you know chunks of my life into. How many hours and... are you at with Skyrim? Do you remember? I never finished Skyrim, and that's what? the problem. Okay. I actually... never beat it. Well, what I... do you mean by beat? I never completed the main quest. I felt completely fulfilled when I mastered the Mage's College quest. This is a little bit of a rabbit hole, but for me, that was the short version of Skyrim. I became Sorcerer Supreme, Doctor Strange, and uh, I felt like I'd, I'd I'd achieved all of my goals. I didn't really particularly care whether the dragons killed everybody. Hmm. I did complete the main quest of Skyrim, but honestly, the main quest of Skyrim is you know ten percent of the game, if that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I sunk a really enormous amount of time into Skyrim. And, um, I do feel that's a great game. And there's really a great place for games that have that length and that amount of playability. You know, I went back and started a second character and played that again. And, and it really did own my life. It was the one game I played for a long time. But since then, I've kind of changed my tastes a little bit. And I've really started looking for games where I can dive into a game experience everything that it has to offer, really experience the game, and not have to spend the rest of my life playing it. Something that then I can feel like, wow, that was a great experience, and move on to the next thing.
1: Yeah, I've kind of started going to the same phase, and which is part of the reason why I was interested in this. I never have been too big into the long-form RPGs. I played Skyrim, but uh, kind of like Sh- uh, Shane, I actually... Didn't go too far into it, though. I did play Fallout New Vegas for a pretty extreme amount of time. Hmm. But before those, those, I was Bethesda
0: games, my friend. Yeah, they're so w- good.
1: Exactly, and I super enjoyed it. But uh, before that, I was actually more into um, online games. So I played, uh, w- you know, World of Warcraft for a very long time, and I played EverQuest for a very long
0: time. Oh my god, really? Uh,
1: I I was in the beta. Uh, I started EverQuest F before the first expansion, all the way through into beta of World of Warcraft, World of Warcraft, for like five years. Now, I haven't played Warcraft for like, I don't know, three and a half years, but I spent the majority of my, you know, time as a gamer playing one to two games, and it would be whatever massive online game I was playing at the time. hmm and so the appeal of these short games is exactly what you were saying. I can pick it up, I can play it, I can maybe beat it, or at least feel that I've been fulfilled relatively quickly, and I don't have to spend all day thinking about what you know raid I'm going to go on or or whatever for that one moment's mm-hmm. time.
0: It's strange because it's you know this length end. You know it, it makes sense from a video game historical perspective when buying a video game was. An enormous financial investment. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, if, he, if I bought a video game, that was probably the thing that I got to buy this year, you know, they, and even just in flat costs, like adjusted for inflation, like I, I was uh, listening to a podcast, uh, recently about, uh, uh, oh, this was on retronauts and they were talking about some, uh, SNES games take coming out late in the, Life of the SNES, and those games, and we're talking about in 1990s dollars, were like $90 games for one game. Reagan and I, uh, our original system that we really dove into and loved was the original uh 1989 uh Sega Genesis. Oh my god, yes. That was original the... price, yep. $190. You know what that would be in today's dollars? The system itself, $346. Wow. Yeah. And the games with cartridges, they would always go for forty to sixty dollars, and sometimes more. I think.
1: I I vividly remember spending seventy dollars on Sonic Three. Wow. Yep.
0: It a I also great was. Game.
1: A, I also was a Sega Genesis kid. So really,
0: and yep. I mean, think about. I mean, compare the depth, quote unquote. We're talking about depth now uh, of something like Sonic Three, or well, Sonic Three. It, it had a it, it, the third iteration had pretty deep game. Look at Sonic 1. People oh were people were shelling out for Sonic 1. And it was not a very deep game. It's a great game. But compare it to a lot of the stuff you'd see on a mobile platform today for a dollar. And I think you'll see... Uh, I, I think that really shows what what the direction things are going in. Mm-hmm. It was somewhere halfway between uh, Flappy Bird and... Uh, I don't know, that uh, uh, Ocean Horn. Don't you talk. Well, those games, it was all a product of the economics of video games at that time, because making a video game involved not just paying a bunch of programmers to create something uh magical on a really limited system, but they were also working against the economics of a really bizarre licensing situation. You know, you'd have to, if somebody wanted to create a video game, they were, paying a large licensing fee to the original console creators who are usually selling these consoles at an enormous financial loss. And then uh, there was the cost of making cartridges. If you had to make a cartridge today to sell a video game, that would absolutely quadruple the cost of every video game. Cartridges are actually pretty damn expensive, but they require, you know, making custom fabricated chips and soldering them to a PCB and then you have to ship them all over the place. It's really a, a nightmare. So the amazing thing about uh, the video game landscape today is that even on things like portable consoles, we've gotten to a point where we can get these downloadable games, and that lets us distribute them in ways that just make it so much easier to consume these little snack games, these small games. And you see that as the driving force of games on mobile. I think that's a bit of a double-edged sword because I think we're going to be we're going to be celebrating. In our podcast here, these games that take that landscape and do the right thing with it. They make it a, uh, a wonderful place to explore short narratives and, uh, gameplay ideas that might work really well in the small scale, but not on the epic scale of something like Skyrim. But they don't go towards that, uh, flappy bird, angry bird, you know, the, the bird genre of mobile games. Um, anyway. I'm really excited about what I've been seeing in in indie games lately, which is this sort of you know thousand blooming gardens of really amazing ideas. I know that's the fruitiest thing I've said on that was some that was so fruity. Some Excuse purple, me,
1: some purple prose, right? Oh there. my
0: god, you're right. Um, I I have that tendency <laughs> to go that a direction.
1: thousand blooming
0: gardens. No, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. Well, Isn't that something that's something that like Mao said, like let a thousand. Oh my god, I was quoting Mao. You're right. <laughs>
1: that's that's the world I want to live in. Thank
0: you.
1: <laughs> yep. Well, and it's definitely being em- oh, sorry, it's definitely being embraced uh you know with uh the Steam Greenlight program and and other things like that.
0: Kickstarter is yep. an amazing resource. So, yeah, all that stuff aside, I think aesthetically we have this conflict between the values that people put on entertainment in every other genre of entertainment. Things like novels, television shows, movies, you know, all other artworks and the values that they put on a video game. You know, no one goes to a movie and says, guys, you've got to see this. It was four hours long. Yeah. yeah. No, or you don't, you don't go into a TV show. And there's say, definitely the exception. Like there's movies like, you know, your seven samurai or something like that. Uh, you know, that's a super long movie that is critically acclaimed, but I've definitely walked out of movies thinking they were too long. Yeah.
1: Well, it's not critically acclaimed because it's long, exactly. no, indeed. which, which is something I think Skyrim gets a lot of credit in games like that just because it's long, mm-hmm. not even necessarily good, but look how much time you can spend playing this game.
0: The amount of content in that book was just incredible. Yeah, exactly. I didn't even read all the side chapters. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. With almost everything else that works against it, as far as I'm yeah. concerned, even TV shows. I just finished watching True Detective, and holy crap, that show was fantastic.
1: I have not watched the last episode. Oh, so.
0: no, we can't talk about it. Well, we shouldn't anyway, in case anybody yeah. listens who uh, hasn't finished the show. If you are out there in the world within the sound of my voice and you haven't yet seen True Detective, you've got... To see True Detective, it was so great. But leaving that alone, I thought that that working at an eight-episode length rather than a you know twenty-episode or twelve-episode season or however long, God, if that had been any longer, I don't know if I would have uh, liked it as much. Yeah. So with video games, I think that we have this totally opposite perspective on them, though. You know, so many games, uh, people people think that the length of the game is somehow related to its value, and I think that actually incentivizes developers to make games worse. You know, Somebody has a great idea for a game, it's really perfect as it is, and then the publishers tell them, well, can you throw something in to flesh it out and make it a little longer? And they add things like collectibles uh, or other things that sort of inflate the length of the game without actually adding anything to it. And I don't know of anyone... I do know some people who compulsively collect collectibles in games. You know, people who got every Riddler trophy in the, uh, in the Arkham games and things like that. Did anybody here get all the Riddler trophies?
1: I, that stuff I could care less about. I came pretty darn close in the first Batman game. Really? Oh, I did. I could care less about that
0: stuff. (laughs) Me neither. In fact, as soon as I see those, like, as soon as I saw the Riddler trophies, I saw the first one and I was like, well, I'm never getting any more of those. Yeah, unless I happen. happen upon them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know. and you know, in some games, I thought in the first Batman game, uh, Arkham Asylum, it was it was used well in that I I gathered the ones that I came across uh, because they I would spot them and they would occasionally just sort of challenge me to think about the level in a new way or try try a new way of getting around an obstacle. Uh, I definitely didn't get them all, but in the more recent ones, I didn't get a, I barely got any of them because it was a fetch quest. And I just absolutely hate it when I have to approach something in a way that I'm looking at a map to see, well, oh, where are all the things that I have to run around and get? But, uh, I do wanna, I do wanna say that in this episode, I, knowing what we're, what we're planning to discuss, uh, having, having done my homework a little bit and, and, and read through these games, the, the games we're really looking at today are really focused around storytelling in a short period of time, but I do hope that in this show we'll also talk about my favorite genre of short game at some point, which is the puzzle game. I would love to do an episode on puzzle games, um, but I, I actually think that there's a distinction between a short game like the ones we're going to be discussing today And a game like a puzzle game that has a short session but an open-ended you know, amount of replayability. Something like a fighting game could be considered a short game. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a different sort of game. That's really interesting. I I hadn't thought about that. But puzzle games absolutely are a great example of something that lets you jump into a game, experience it, perhaps not entirely in full, but really get the feel of the entire experience and and walk away satisfied within just this, a short period of time.
1: Yeah, well, it depends on the type of it depends on the type of puzzle game as well because there are definitely puzzle games with a narrative. I think Portal, obviously everybody's favorite game ever, uh, is the perfect example. It's of a, a wonderful short game. game with a good narrative that's pretty much just considered a puzzle game. So I think you can find those that fit both what we're trying to accomplish here. But for the most part, you're right, in that puzzle games are just kind of a pick-up-play, solve some puzzles, and put it back down.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do think that there is a, there's a resurgence in a lot of these kinds of games of things that were classics in the early days of gaming, like puzzle and arcade elements. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, and if you, look at, you look at the incredible popularity of the platform genre right now if you go back a few years that wasn't the case
1: yeah absolutely and i i mean especially with, in indie gaming yeah yeah half the games that are on steam or humble bundle are platformers and i think that also has to do with ease of developmental tools it's not too difficult to get your hands on a uh development environment that can you can use to make a platformer relatively quickly and so that's why you see all those uh, relatively simply designed, but interesting story, or some single interesting concept that drives the the platformer.
0: Mm-hmm. Platforms brain. like Unity or um, the Steam. Um, uh, I'm sorry, what's Valve's Source. engine called? The Source Engine uh, have done more for indie gaming and the cause of the you know short, independently produced, uh, complete game experience than. Uh, Anything else, really. I think the Unity engine, for all of its faults and quirks, is a wonderful thing to have happened to the gaming world. And actually, one of the games we're going to be talking about today, uh, Gone Home, uh, was created using Unity. The other, uh, uh, the Stanley Parable, was actually created using Valve's source engine. Uh, It began as a a mod on Half-Life.
1: A lot of popular games have stemmed from being mods of Half-Life, including mainstream games like Counter-Strike.
0: True. Well,
1: you might say that it has caused a hundred flowers to bloom. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it'd be a stretch to say that.
0: All right. Well... With all of that uh, exciting stuff happening, does anybody have anything uh, up on the horizon that's uh, interesting to them? Any games coming out soon, or gaming news that seems interesting?
1: Well, the you had asked me to prepare a game that I was excited about coming out. Oh, make it sound like
0: homework, why don't you?
1: Because it, it was terribly painstaking for me to to come up with something. Um, it was basically homework, is what I'm trying to say, and. <laughs> But anyway, the game that I was looking at is actually kind of falls into that weird middle ground of exactly what we were just talking about. It's one of my more favorite games that I've played over the last two years, which is Faster Than Light, um, or FTL, as you'll see it through most places, where it kind of s- sits in that mold where it's really just a session, can be about a half hour to an hour. Um, so again, don't know exactly where that falls in our world, but they really, they announced a an expansion for it a free expansion that's going to very very much open up the game even more
0: i heard a little bit about that but i'm not really sure what's uh what's actually coming to the game i played a lot of ftl when it first not when it first came out excuse me it was when it first hit the humble bundle Mm -hmm. thank god for the humble bundle
1: yeah we have we've said humble bundle i think at least five times at this point
0: i know I uh, think we well, ought to do a whole show just on the Humble Bundle someday, like the next time that the hum- that there's a new Humble Bundle, we should do a whole uh oh sorry, I had a noise go off there. I should have muted these devices. Um yep. next time a Humble Bundle comes out, we should probably do a special. But anyway, uh yeah, that game came out on the Humble Bundle and I thought, "What the heck is this?" and I wasn't sure if I was even going to be able to get into it. It seems, when you first look at that game, just kind of like a spreadsheet with sprite graphics.
1: Which is not that far from the truth in a way, but uh, I it's actually... It's really compelling, though, once you it get is, into it. It is. It is. And that's that's where I'm torn where I don't know if it falls perfectly into what we're talking about, because I actually look uh, spent, I think my Steam account says about 45 hours on this game. That's so impressive. That go- that goes exactly against what we're talking about I don't
0: but... I don't think so. I think that well, there's I, I think that's a I don't think we need to be really prescriptivist about yeah. what our concept is here. I think yeah, a game like that one hundred percent falls into our wheelhouse.
1: Okay, because I would play it about an hour at a time. Exactly. I'd do one or two runs, see how deep I could get, and then you know be done with it. but mm-hmm. uh they basically added more of everything, uh, and this game was very good at balancing. Uh, so I think they should add a lot. It looks like they're going to add a lot without taking too much away from the base game. Uh, they're adding stuff like a cloning bay, the ability to hack the uh, enemy ship, uh, mind control units, all sorts of different possibilities.
0: I, I, I'm I worried that I'm going to uh, return to that game and just never be able to extricate myself again. Ugh, that game was so good. Well, yeah. I actually was sort of—I had a hard time really getting into that game, honestly. And I think a part of it was that I primarily game on a desktop computer uh, and not on a laptop. And that's the kind of game that I kind of felt was like a lot of puzzle games or casual games. I don't say that with any malice. I actually think casual is shouldn't be used as a as a uh, as a pejorative with games. But anyway, should um, be casuals. I know, but. I think it was the sort of game that I felt would be better played in a relaxed situation, maybe watching a movie or something like that. So like yeah, that I'm really hoping that game comes out on a tablet. I well, have we got news it. for <laughs> yeah. you? That was about what I was going to say. is that I, I, I think I read that with that update, they're also doing an iPad version. Is that right, Nate?
1: Yep. <sighs> They'll be launching at the same time. Oh, you just made my day. Mm. Yep. Yeah, so, so I'm very excited about it. They don't have a release date as of yet, um, but I've been following it pretty heavily. Pretty excited to to try it out. And it's free, which I would pay for it, no problem. But I definitely appreciate it when a developer you know, will do something like that.
0: Adds content to a game that's been out so long and already yes. has such an audience. Yeah, I really think that's awesome.
1: Yeah, because they could easily throw it up for $5, $10, and probably have just as many downloads as they will for having it free. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I definitely appreciate that.
0: I particularly appreciate it in a situation like this where it's not even something where they are worried about fragmenting their player base. You know, something like a multiplayer game will often kind of uh, have an incentive to do that, so they have a unified player base, and they don't have to have, like, separate servers or all that. But a game like FTL... There's no fragmentation. There's nothing to, nothing that would have at all prevented them from just handing that out or that would have prevented them from charging for that. I think it's a really nice thing that they're doing that yeah. as a, uh, as a free DLC. And I will 100% buy that game a second time on the iPad when it comes out on it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, my, uh, my game that I am currently excited about, I've just downloaded. It's also an iPad game and if you haven't played it i encourage you to download and play it this is a not a new release but it is a uh, a re-release it's a remake uh of a game that i fell in love with when the iphone app store was new and they've just created an updated version this is a game called ELIS, eliss e l i s s and uh, this was the game that for me first showed me what, uh, touchscreen gaming could really be like. Uh, it's a, it's a game with, uh, very abstract play. Uh, it's, uh, great for mobile because it's all a very short session game. And this new version is called Illis Infinite. I don't know if you pronounce the infinity sign on the name, but, uh, it's Illis, uh, with an infinity sign. The, uh, the concept behind the game is kind of spacey-looking, empty-void. Circles will sort of appear in front of you of various sizes, and you move them around uh, with your finger. You can put two of them together to merge them into a bigger circle, or you can take two fingers and spread them apart to split them in half in their size. And portals will also show up on the screen. Oh, you can I remember this game. I've just looked this up. Yeah, that was yeah. a fantastic game. I remember playing I don't this... think it got the, the press that it really deserved uh, when when it was even released in the first place. I played an and enormous much amount this of this on the release. iPhone 3G. Yeah, I remember, right? But um, the new version has an infinite mode, uh, and it has an all-new set of levels, I believe. Um, and it's universal for the iPad. Yes, it is. So uh i gotta i gotta encourage anybody who likes uh puzzle games and interesting uses of multi touch to definitely mm-hmm. download this game um I have just it's a lot like if anybody has seen or played the game Osmos, which is out on uh Steam and also on iphone ipad on Android. I think osmos ended up kind of getting a little more popularity than this game and they have a similar kind of uh uh, well, the, Osmos is, is sort of like a, a game, a lot like list, except that you're playing as a individual circle. <laughs> I don't know; it's really hard to discuss uh, without visuals. Sure. But... Well, Osmos is a is a game in which uh, it it's a it's a physics based puzzler uh, in which you're. Uh, playing as like a, I, I always thought it was a microorganism. Yeah, you're some sort of an amoeba or something and you, you move around absorbing other objects, ejecting and, uh, small and amounts it, it, of liquid from your body, like... which sounds way grosser than it actually is. And <laughs> your, uh, your goal was to eat objects smaller than you and avoid objects larger than you. And this game has some of the same aspects in that it's about having multiple different sizes of um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't directly compare them, except that uh, gameplay heavily involves uh, circles. <laughs> so basically, it's Pac-Man. I was just gonna say,
1: <laughs> yes.
0: All right. All right. Well, actually, thank you for bringing this to me to my attention because this looks like a lot of fun. I'm really gonna check this out.
1: Yeah, I have never heard of either of the games that you two are talking about, so I obviously wow. have some some downloaded Infinity. to do.
0: All right. Elis Infinity, uh out now on the app store. Uh two ninety nine, if it's uh if that's not a sale price, then that'll probably be the price it's at. That's awesome. Alright. Well, um I have a couple of things I kinda wanted to talk about uh as far as new and upcoming stuff. Uh first I guess is just a quickie. Any any of you guys played Titanfall yet?
1: No. no. I have a PlayStation four. That is the decision I made. I do not have an Xbox One.
0: Yeah. Well, you've you've got a Windows PC, presumably. I mean, you've got a a laptop. I
1: I have the yeah, I have access to Windows. Uh, I don't play a whole lot of first-person shooters on my computer, though. Mm -hmm. So, I it never that is actually the you bringing that up is the first time that has crossed my mind of getting it on my computer.
0: Yeah, I've been considering it, but um, the only reason I bring it up here is. That, uh, well, I, it's obviously, it's all over the gaming press right now, and you can't walk two steps in the world without hearing someone talk about Titanfall right now. Um, and it does have some things that are appealing to me. I haven't played a multiplayer online game of any kind in years at this point. Oh, well, I mean, that's a lie. I, I played some that were cooperative. I haven't played, um, these sort of, you know, right. massive team based or squad based or any other online game that wasn't basically a, a two to four player cooperative kind of thing. And um, I've got reasons for that, and that might be a topic for another time. Um, but this has me somewhat tempted because of the kind of seems a little bit innovative combination of a, uh, a campaign mode with a story driven kind of thing. I don't know. I just wondered if either of you guys had any thoughts about. No, the game.
1: I haven't. I haven't played it yet, but I am definitely interested. I don't have any problem with first-person shooters. Other mm-hmm. than that, I'm really not very good at them. I yeah. really, en- I really enjoy them. Uh, campaign mode is fine, you know. With modern art, uh, first-person shooters, anybody can get through the campaign. Mm-hmm. But I typically will, you know, I play Battlefield Four and I play online, and mm-hmm. I really, really enjoy that game. I have a lot of fun playing it. But I am very bad. But to me, I kind of treat it, it's almost like a sandbox game where also everybody's trying to kill you. Uh, So I will play it, you know, to fly the planes and the helicopters. And because of the physics of the game, you can pull off some pretty interesting stunts uh, and stuff like that. But I'm not any good at it. So Titanfall is interesting to me, only to kind of see what world they've created. Mm -hmm. But if I play online, I am guaranteed to be a terrible player. I just... Yeah. Well, I've that actually is
0: exactly the reason that I have for not playing these games lately, is that I think that the experience of playing online uh, against other people is just... it's It gets to the point where it's so stressful that it's yeah. not even fun. I, you know, I don't I'm know. I'm not good at it. And, yeah. And I... I get into a loop of just being killed over and over again, and at some point in the past, I don't even remember what game this might have been at, where I kind of rage quit the entire genre. But uh, I, I'm wondering if maybe I shouldn't try that again and you know, give it another go. And Titanfall seems like the kind of yep. online the problem game that with might... this kind of game is that I'm so good at it that <laughs> it's not fair to the other yeah. players, and so mm. I just I that's, just gave up on that. That's
1: nice of you to do that for us. You're welcome, everyone yeah. who owns Halo. Uh, it's interesting though because I wasn't always that way. I played Counter Strike back uh, to me. It was this heyday, its heyday, but maybe it's just because that's when I was playing it. But to those who played it, it was like right before the 1.6 update. So this was a while ago, and I played mm-hmm. that actually um, competitively to a degree. I was in a league, um, wow. they called it they called it clans, and I did some competitive stuff again. I wasn't like super good at it but enough to compete um and then i played team fortress 2 for a while but for some reason the the huge ones where it's like 32 on 32 or just the bigger the map the harder i have uh the harder time i have playing it or at Mm -hmm. least the harder time i have being good at it i think i get too distracted because everything's so big
0: yeah I've never actually played one that had that large of a number of of yeah. players. Well, that's
1: a recent that's a recent development.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's that's really a big hole in my gaming knowledge and I feel like I need to try something like Titanfall just to make sure that I'm not becoming an old man stuck in his ways. I want to make sure that when I make this show, the uh the short game, that I'm celebrating something great. And not just an old man standing being like, get off my lawn, you, you <laughs> kids with your online MMOs and your BS thousands of flowers and your, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Reagan, tell me, is that your game for the, for the week? No, Cause no. Cause I wouldn't think of that as a, as a short game. No, it's, it's probably not... Well, each individual game of that might be very short, and I thought it might be uh, something to chat about. But no, I was actually going to bring up another game that I'm pretty interested in. Um, uh, so I played Gone Home um, a little while back. It's one of the games that inspired this podcast, and I've been since then looking for, you know, what can possibly follow that up. Because obviously, as we'll probably chat about once we get into the game, Gone Home is not a game that you're going to see a sequel for. Um You know, nobody, nobody, even a, even its biggest fan is waiting for Gone Home 2. Gone Um, Home 2, Gone Homer. Yeah. Gone
1: gone Home 2, like T O O, or
0: Gone (laughs) Gone Home home 2, Gone Out. (laughs) Gone Home Again. It's all, it's all about Caitlin. um, once she's explored the house, she leaves to go get a pizza, and, uh, it's her trip to the pizza place. Now, uh, but anyway, I've been looking forward to hopefully games taking this spirit and trying new things with it, exploring new directions with it. And I really felt like one of the things that's missing from Gone Home is another character to relate to. Um, and so this game that, uh, isn't out yet, uh, I'm really excited about. It's called Firewatch. Uh, firewatch is a game that's going to be coming out sometime in 2015 it's only been recently announced it's from a brand new development team called campo santo um there's a couple of good articles about it i'll paste them into the show notes but um long story short it's a first player excuse me first person game kind of in a um looking at screens of it i feel like it has a similar play style to something like gone home you're walking around in a first person perspective exploring uh an environment where you're the only human being around. Um, In this case, you're a fire marshal, and the year is uh, 1989, uh, and you're uh, doing a summer job. What is it with these games in the 80s? Gone Home is in the 80s as well. Is it? Nope, 1995. Thank you. God, get it together. But there was
1: a Trapper Keeper. Yep. (laughs) And if if you remember... That's her sister's, and she says, "Oh man, she had that when she was four, which would be the '80s."
0: Get on the ball, Shane. Jeez. Hey, so uh...
1: I just played this game, <laughs> so <laughs> like I was playing it when Reagan called me to
0: start <laughs> this. So, <laughs> well, this game, Firewatch, has uh, has a kind of a cool pedigree. I'm really excited about just the people that are putting it together. It's a uh, this new new company, Campo Santo is uh was is sort of formed by some people that have been involved in really amazing games um, uh, the two leads for the company I don't have their names here um, worked on games like uh, mark of the ninja brutal legend the cave which I haven't played but it's on my list um, Bioshock uh, I've been two. playing the cave oh you have um you have to tell yeah. me about it later okay. um, and Bioshock 2 and also the Walking Dead season one which I also recently just finished and it ripped my guts out and spread them all over the floor in a keeping pile of uh zombie food it was it was a really emotional experience and really an amazing game um, and uh this game has that kind of pedigree it's also as mac nerds all of us i think will all appreciate that it's also i think it's just funded by or kind of an offshoot of panic software do you guys know panic uh, makers of my favorite FTP client? Yes, yes. Makers of Transmit, the excellent FTP app that I use on a nearly daily basis, as well as a few other really great pieces of Mac software. Panic has been around for many years making gorgeous, beautiful apps uh, for Mac and iOS, and I'm just a huge fan of theirs on that front. But they are, I think, just funding, or they're somehow involved in this. Anyway, um, the game looks gorgeous. All the art looks like some kind of a beautiful poster... Um, the uh, environments look beautiful. <laughs> the
1: the epitome of of design. The poster.
0: <laughs> Shut your holes. Um It's a it, they. No, I, when I say poster, I specifically mean you know the sort of like I I don't know the appropriate term for it. Those like. Um, you know, four or five tone posters that you get for yeah. I'm looking at a I'm looking at a screenshot of it right now. It looks like explore beautiful uh, Wyoming, and they have like a beautiful. Looks like a four color print. Thank you. It looks like a four color print, and a lot of the game, or at least the screenshots I've seen, that and there are very few of them. There's there's almost nothing out about this game so far. Look like that. Um, but the the plot of the game essentially is and being a mystery, I think, kind of like Gone Home. They don't give away very much about this yet. Unfortunately, but you're uh, a guy, Henry, who's taken a job as a fire marshal in Wyoming, and it's a it's a summer following a big fire. Everyone's kind of on edge because the things are. It's a hot summer. It's a dry summer, and you're in your tower watching for fires, and your only human contact is your boss, who's a woman named Delilah, who's in a tower off over across the horizon, and you speak to her on a handheld radio that you carry around, and there's sort of a relationship there. Um, anyway, I think it just looks like a really exciting game. You know, it's a, it's a story of something weird happening and that's pretty much all we know at this point. So, um, I'm looking forward to, to kind of taking that journey. I'm just really, really excited about that. You know, I'm, I'm, that's really interesting to me. I, I saw some of the screenshots from this game and I guess I haven't watched any videos or trailers or anything like that. There's almost nothing yet. Uh, it looked, the, the art of it looks so, uh, Clean and nice,
1: like it belongs on a poster.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I assumed that it was going to be a uh, a like a two D platform type game, but now you're telling me that it's actually a uh, first person. It's a it's a first person game. Um, Cell shaded or or, or something like that? No, actually, as far as I can tell, it's not cell shaded, but um, it does have a sort of an interesting color scheme. I'm not really sure how they're achieving it. Anyway, um, looks awesome. Like pixels i yes so i'm I'm excited about that game it's one of those things that i almost wish i hadn't heard about it yet because it won't be out until sometime in 2015 which probably means it's going to be you know november of 2015 for all i know and who even knows but um i'm certainly going to be keeping an eye on this one
1: yeah it looks pretty interesting Katie I'm sorry I can't be there to see you I'm I'm just sorry but please please whatever you might find don't tell mom and dad I don't want them to know I don't want anyone to
0: know I'm really excited to talk about Gone Home. I, I think this is one of the, this is, this is a game that I've really enjoyed it more than almost any other game I've played this last year. Um, if you had, you know, if I had a game of the year pick for 2013, which is when this was released, I think Gone Home would be the top of it. And actually it's made a lot of lists. So I was really surprised it's gotten the reception it's gotten. But it's also been kind of controversial. Some people haven't liked it so much. Uh, some people go so far as to say, this isn't a game, or, you know, argue about it in other ways. I don't care. I don't care if it's a game. I don't care uh, about... You the... mean I'm not going to be able to scandalize you by saying this isn't a game? If you say it's not a game, I will kick you off the show, but I... There's your route,
1: Shane. There's your I'm out. out. I'm out, guys. Right. I, I don't think it's a game.
0: Alright, see you later. Bye, bro. Alright, cool. But uh let's just talk just first about describing the game for people who might not have played it. Does anybody want to kind of take point on that? Well, I can, but I mean, uh I think you're passionate about it. I'd love to hear you... your take on it. And and uh, uh you, you haven't taken you haven't finished the game, but what what have you thought about how would you describe the concept of the game as you've experienced it so far?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Uh to me it's it's played like a mystery novel almost. Uh, a first-person mystery, where you just show up at the front door of this house, and you have to get into the house. Like, there's minor puzzles involved, but but not not anything more complicated than finding the key that's under a, you know, an ornament.
0: The Christmas um, duck.
1: Yeah, the Christmas
0: duck, that's right. Guys, I thought we said no spoilers. Now they all know <laughs> that the key's in the Christmas duck. <laughs> Literally the first object I touched, so... Yeah, okay, that's what I was going to say. I was
1: going to say, I don't know if I got really lucky or what, but that was the first thing I did, was find the key, so...
0: Well, it's under uh, a duck, so how do you miss a duck?
1: But that's what I mean, you know, it's it's
0: puzzles, kind of. I hardly know? even think of this as having any puzzles. Yeah. Um, I think that the best way to describe the game is as just a uh, a story exploration game, Um. Well, first, I suppose we should probably kind of set up uh, the story of the game, which is actually the most important aspect of the game, as far as I'm concerned. How about this? We'll try and steal a page out of the uh, Incomparables book and fire off a spoiler horn when we think we're approaching the true meat of the of the story. Um, That's fair. So the first thing I'd say about the game is, like, the, the, the setup is that you play as Caitlin, who is a... Uh, college-age girl. The year is 1995. Uh, it's the end of the summer. You have finished a long study abroad program, so you've been away from your family for an entire year. Um, and during that year, apparently, you've barely talked to them because shit's been going down. Uh, maybe they don't have phones in Europe at this time. Well, you but... don't remember, Reagan, but it was very difficult to make a long-distance call at that point in time. I don't really think I had any reason to make Long distance calls in 1995.
1: We didn't have the Skype. Shane, you said that as if you had uh, multiple years of experience beyond Reagan in in long distance calling.
0: You you might not know this, but I am in fact the older brother.
1: Got it. Good. Now By I approximately
0: understand. five minutes.
1: And for what it's worth, they you do find a postcard in the game.
0: I just I need to interrupt because I I like to say that. While Shane may be the older in birth order, I was conceived first.
1: <laughs> Disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, anyway. you're coming home from your year abroad, and you're coming home to a house that your character, Caitlin, has never seen before, because during the year abroad, your family moved house from one place to another, and uncle in the family um, died and left the house to your family. And um, uh, rather than sell it, For the mansion that it was, like any reasonable person would have done, apparently they decided for whatever reason to move across the country and move into this um, mansion house. Well, I do think they explore uh, those reasons, but I I don't think uh, that we want to spoil anything for people. It is a beautiful house. It is large. It's large and awesome. The house is definitely rendered in just loving detail in the game, and... Mm -hmm. Every object that you come across inside the house is just just so beautifully lovingly rendered uh, from every like family photograph to every letter to every you know book or uh a tape or old newspaper it's all just so beautifully done and those objects are incredibly important because as we haven't actually said yet but the very important aspect of the game is that when you come home, you find a note on the door from your sister who's left. Um, your sister has left you a note telling you that she's gone and not to look for her. And your mother and father are also gone. So there is no one home. Uh, the home is empty. Everyone has gone from the home as the, uh, I know. But the, the point being that, uh, they, that it's sort of mysterious. When you're coming into the house, it has this feel. You know, it's a dark and stormy night, literally, and there's this feel to the house of a kind of a creepy environment. Um, I know that for me, going into the house and beginning the game, um, I knew very little about the game. Did anybody here have a concept of the story or the structure before you came into it?
1: Nope. I, if I had to make one suggestion is that I wish I had a flashlight. Because there are several dark and scary rooms, and a flashlight would have been beneficial. Though there are lights in almost every room, you just gotta find them. So a light switch would have been nice, and even though I knew it wasn't a monster game, I kept waiting
0: for monsters. Maybe in the DLC. Yeah. <laughs> I think actually, because because of my years and years and years of being conditioned by games to expect ghosts, or zombies, or parallel dimensions or something you know, you, you confront this mystery everyone is gone and, oh, interesting parallel between that and the Stanley Parable, huh Um and uh you're trying to figure out why everyone is gone and why your house is empty and even though I kind of had a feeling that it was a different kind of game throughout the entire experience I was continually expecting something gamey but this yeah. game is not gamey. It's well. I think
1: they want you to think that, though. Yeah. There's there's enough like creaks and cracks, and there is to a degree a supernatural element, though. Um, you'll discover that as you play it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not m- monsters. It is full so of red herrings
0: yeah, and and misdirection. Exactly. Uh, yeah. There's so many things about it that try to, and I think that that's totally intentional. They're trying to. So they know that if you're playing this game that you've played other video games and they're trying to use that experience against you, they're subverting your expectations and doing really amazing things with it. Now there's so many things like, um, I mean, even just the cover of the game, the, you know, the cover is gorgeous and it's got this dark purple tone and this creepy old house. And you look at that and you think, haunted house game. I saw that and I thought, this is a game about a haunted house. And, and it is haunted by memory by memories. <laughs> and well, then there's so many little things. Too.
1: I mean the house is referred to as the psycho house. Absolutely. So you're right. I mean they want you to think these things are happening even though you also know like I was I was basically a lot of my playtime is thinking I'm not going to be attacked. I'm not going to be attacked. I know I'm not going to be attacked. But the simple fact that I was thinking that is I think kind of what they were looking to accomplish. As I was reassuring myself constantly that there was nothing to be worried about.
0: Yeah, they build a mood and attention in a way that I've almost never seen before in a game. I, I don't think I've ever had such a um, over over nothing but the. I mean, it's nothing but mood. It's like walking through a scary haunted house where there are no ghosts and there's nothing jumping out at you. It's yeah. it's all mood, but it's just brilliantly crafted. If this is a game with gameplay, then the core gameplay mechanic is Hey, watch your if there, in, buddy. I don't Go think ahead. it's a game.
1: All I right, don't right.
0: but uh and I'll I'll defend that if I have to. But I do think that like if it's a game, the core mechanic is inspect an object, hear a journal entry. And there are games that have done this before. Like this is a classic gameplay mechanic that it inherits from things like Bioshock, right? So yeah. You know, as you walk around Rapture in Bioshock, you're finding tape decks, you know, and you're listening to people, uh, shrieking in pain as they're turned into a monster or something. Uh, but in Gone Home, you're walking around the house and you're picking up photographs and you're thinking to yourself about, uh, you know, a, a great time that you had with your father. And that's, that's the core mechanic of this game. Yeah, the mechanics
1: know. of the game are nothing unique. You're right. It's a simple RPG that you're pointed forward and you have uh, your cursor. I'm and shocked you have that select... you would describe it as an RPG. Well, okay, that's not the right word, but a game from the point of view of a first-person character. Okay, if that if that if that works for you, with a single actionable move, which is select, you know, pick up object. Pick up objects, expect objects. Ex- yeah. Expect object, And then some objects, not by your decision, but some objects go into your backpack. Mm-hmm. And they are predetermined objects that go into your backpack. Mm-hmm. And there is crouch, and there is kind of zoom in to an, ex- to an extent. And for whatever reason, I kept trying to open up my bag, and I was crouching all the time. So if anybody was watching me play, it looked like a crazy person walking around their house, constantly ducking. Mm-hmm.
0: I tend to play these games like the world's weirdest hoarder, grabbing every object and trying to carry it around. I
1: actually, I felt bad because one of the ways that I would ensure that I was keeping track of the things that I was doing is since almost everything, any loose object is is actionable, you can pick it up, I picked up everything and threw it on the ground. So I was wrecking the place. If you went in there after the fact, virtually everything was on the ground. But I'd be able to walk back into that room and immediately notice, that I'd been in there before.
0: So in a way, you really were playing the part of a teenager.
1: Absolutely, I was angsty and destroying things.
0: I was the same in that I, I, in order to keep track of what rooms I had been in, I would turn on all of the lights in each room as I went and leave them on full blaze. I never turned off a light in the entire game. Oh yeah, me neither. What was so funny was there's a moment in the game where, uh, it, one of the, um, one of the parents makes reference to the fact uh that the main character never turns the lights off and wastes power. Oh, it's on the it's on the It's on a board poster on the wall. Yeah. Or there yeah. it says something like uh turn off uh, 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 I'm sorry, what's the younger sister's name again? Sam. Sam. Sam uh, uh turn off the lights when you're yeah, you know, when you leave the room, you're as bad as your sister.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: That was great. There's so many little wonderful elements in the game. Even things like you pick up a random magazine and there'll be uh wonderful little elements on it. Like I remember one magazine had a, a cover with a with a cover story that said The Male Gaze, how to subvert it. <laughs>
1: yeah, and you uh you uncover a a box of your father's gentleman's magazines, as they're called in the game, and every once in a while, normally when you pick up an item, it it there's it's just a little white dot that you kind of control, but sometimes on specific items the only time you really hear from your character is instead of the white dot, it'll be a little sentence as if that's what your character is thinking, mm. and when you go over the gentleman's magazines, it'll be like like "Oh, gross dad or something to that extent, and that's your only real interaction with the character that you
0: i I did not discover any gentleman's magazines i <laughs>
1: uh, I was tearing everything apart.
0: Time for another playthrough.
1: I'm not gonna lie i uh well, I missed something at a key key moment of discovery, and basically tore the house apart looking for something, when in fact it had been a pretty easy thing that I should have seen in the first place. Interesting. But I, yeah, I, I found... Can you uh, share with
0: us what that was without spoiling things for well, people who haven't seen yeah, it yet?
1: You know, at some point you are look you you find through the progression of the story, you find... Two half-torn note pieces of a of a locker combination.
0: Ah, uh, yeah.
1: And for whatever reason, and it's not hidden. You're supposed to find it. Uh, with the guy, the game kind of guides you along. The yeah, let's uh, the talk house, about that
0: because that um, was something that I thought was really the most successful thing about the game was how well it guides you through the path. Um, something that really struck me about it was that even though I, you know, the game has really large open areas. First, you can ex- when you first walk in the door, theoretically, you could walk up the stairs, you could walk to the, uh, left-ish wing. There are a number of doors you could open. You could go almost in any direction. Almost the entire house is open to you right from the start. And yet there is an order that you're supposed to go through things in. The journals are numbered, and you're clearly supposed to uncover the story in a particular order. And I don't know how I did it, but I just based on, you know, not not being particularly organized and kind of going at it as I thought kind of seemed best. I hit every single journal entry and I hit them all in exactly the prescribed order, See, which I thought I was amazing.
1: The, I did the same, so it it makes me wonder if there is an element of the game kind of reorganizes itself to to kind of push you through properly but I, have, well,
0: I don't think so because I went back and played through it a second time and every single object and item was in the same place.
1: I, I don't mean to say that the game like reshuffles, but rather that it doesn't like the initial steps don't matter which order you hit them. And it that for it to still tell the story in the same way. Mm-hmm. And I think it, kind of will reorder them as far as how they show up in your journal to kind of fit whatever way you went about it.
0: I don't I don't agree. It reminds me of good um, theme park design. And I'll always wind up making analogies between theme park design and video game design. Because I the idea of roller
1: coaster tycoon, I guess
0: <laughs> yes. But I, I think about places like Disney World, right, where, you know, as you walk in you know you're you're face to face with a a giant castle and no matter which way you turn it's the start of uh an experience and that that's been entirely designed for you and in this game you know it's it's guiding you into a story that you can approach in different ways uh but no matter how you approach it it feels like the right way because all of the different op- uh you know elements that are open to you from the very beginning are the beginning of that story and it introduces you to all the characters in that first area. It introduces you to, uh, their personalities. Um, you know, for example, like if you, one of the first things I did was go down the hallway and start discovering the father's bizarre obsession with the, Ken- with the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. And to me, that was one of the most interesting things. So I followed that until I couldn't follow it any longer. And I was distracted by something else in the family, you know? And, from there, it's, it's, uh, the, the beauty of this, uh, quote unquote game is that it gives you the freedom to explore the story from any angle, but the fact that some doors are locked, that some objects are hidden, restricts your completion of, of those stories, uh, until you've, you've explored certain elements. And so everyone's experience of the story is going to be unique, uh, but that, the 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 different ways in which you reach kind of the crescendos of the story uh are all going to be essentially in a progression because of the physical structure of of the design of the house yeah
1: it it makes me wonder if if you were to start a fresh game and this is easily testable start a fresh game and immediately run to the item that triggered the opening of the door, uh, of one of the doors, would it do it right out of the gates? Yes, it would. Would
0: it? I can tell you that, just from having read a bit about it and also experimented with it a little bit, um, you can, for example, if you once you know where everything is, you can open the front door, walk right in, and end the game within under a minute. You can get okay, to the so, last moment if you know where everything so is. So
1: then my previous entire argument is moot and you are correct that answers <laughs> well and because that, that's what i was thinking is that it kind of forces you though you can go about it in different ways it forces you to find them in certain order if you can in fact walk in and immediately complete it then i retract yeah. every every, yeah, every
0: journal entry is actually tied to a particular object it doesn't ever change what journal entry goes with what object um and also um everything that's discoverable in the game is discoverable from the very beginning uh without the locked doors aside but actually structurally you, if you don't need to unlock any of the doors uh in order to complete the game um you do if you're following the golden path you're you know sort of actually completing all your know, uh, collecting all the journal entries and experiencing the entire story then you're going to visit every square inch of the house probably multiple times but um if you uh finish the um you you can theoretically um uh, uh, not to not to spoil anything but the game ends in the attic which isn't easy to open um but there's there's definitely a way to walk right into the house and get into the attic and finish the game without actually experiencing any of the rest of the game should have fired off the spoiler horn fair enough so
1: i guess that's a you know L, uh kind of shows off the good game design that you and myself, and I'm assuming most people who played the game probably inadvertently followed a pretty similar path, even though we thought we were exploring it randomly. Which actually will kind of tie in with the Stanley Parable to a degree.
0: Yeah, I thought that was the most accomplished thing about the game was just in just how um, how well designed the path was. You know, they, I think they they know how gamers play, and they know that if you're a gamer. You're probably going to walk into the house and you're going to look for certain types of things. You're going to look for the objects that seem most interactable and so on. I really think that they did a lot of thinking about that. And that's, that's to me the most fascinating thing about the game. So do we want to kind of fire off a spoiler horn and talk? Uh, I, I'm totally stealing that phrase, by the way, from The Incomparable, which is a phenomenal podcast. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, you should go and do so immediately. I'm stealing their phrase. Um, if, uh, are we okay to, uh, kind of, dive into some of the more spoilery aspects of the game and talk about its uh, emotional impact and some of the things about it that are difficult to talk about without spoiling aspects of the story?
1: I'm ready. Yeah, I just can only contribute so much.
0: (laughs) That's okay. We'll try not to spoil the worst of it for you. Yeah, Um, I'm
1: I'm the listening audience for part of this.
0: I, I would just have to say that it's a story unlike anything else that I've ever seen in a game. So obviously the you know, the story that you're exploring, even though you're playing as Caitlyn, is you're exploring the story of the year that her younger sister spent discovering herself. Um, more specifically, um, meeting a girl, discovering that she was a lesbian, uh, falling in love with this girl. The girl's name is Lonnie, and she's actually really kind of, uh, they just do a really wonderful job, as far as I'm concerned, of, uh, giving you characters to care about, um, and it I don't know, I just I wondered if uh I that's I, I think this is where some people find themselves really loving the game and some don't. This is a kind of story that I think sort of just gets right to my heart. But I, I don't know if it does for everybody. What about you guys? As you could hear there we had some microphone issues. Apologies for the sound quality. We stopped the call temporarily to troubleshoot and then picked up. After we'd resolved the issues. Um, So we were, before we uh, got interrupted by mic issues, am I still sounding okay? Shane was telling me it sounded okay. Good. You sound like honey poured over thunder. (laughs) Thank you.
1: (laughs) Like a thousand honeys poured over thunder.
0: I am sweating. Oh my. Um, You're just saying
1: that because you two sound the
0: same. We do. Uh so we were talking about the story of gone home and how it affected us. I was uh I was just saying uh, I think that's probably the dividing line for people who really loved this game like I did and for people who either didn't like this game or who just didn't connect with it. I think that it told a story that I've never seen before in a game. There have been games that featured romantic stories, but I've never seen a game that was this is it's not exactly about a romance it's about that horrible period in a teenager's life when you're you know trying to become your own person and uh and you know it it's it's a story we've seen before in in a, in a thousand other mediums you know we've seen movies of of stories so like this but the way that we were exploring the story through from through her sister's eyes you know yeah, experiencing I, the family i don't know i just i, I thought it was a really unique experience
1: uh, as having not finished it yet um you know unless the story makes some dramatic turn uh, i i think i'm about 75% of the way through it so it very well could but um it doesn't seem to me that the story itself is anything incredibly unique like you said this is a pretty standard coming of age teenage angst early 90s riot girl kind of thing uh it's more how it's presented that makes it so unique yeah absolutely and and the tone of the experience is what makes it so unique because like you you know we were talking about earlier here i am listening to journals about my little sister's like first kiss with her girlfriend meanwhile thinking am i going to be attacked while doing this (laughs) and i don't and but also knowing that i'm not going to be attacked while doing this so you have all of those things layered on you at the same time while in a beautifully rendered room with like really nice you know thunder and lightning and creaking doorstep creaking wood and doors kind of slowly closing it's all of that together that makes it such a unique experience because none of the individual factors themselves are are anything that unique you know
0: well i will say it's not unique in all of entertainment but i feel it is unique in video games i don't think this is a story we've seen told this sort of family storyline you know, yeah. if this were a fair. typical video game then we would find that, you know, one of them was um, a spy or an alien or that there was a zombie.
1: We'd walk in the room and, like, the parents are hanging by a noose over mm-hmm. the foyer. You yeah, know, in any like.
0: other game, this would be the B plot and the A plot would be something involving Shooty McShooty Man. Yeah, that um,
1: classic <laughs> Shooty McShooty Man. But
0: the, this is the a plot. This is the this is the lead yeah. story. Yeah, I kept trying to find the fire button, but I tried every button on my keyboard and nothing happened. Nothing. Jeez. Nothing made me shoot. I just kept
1: randomly crouching all the time.
0: You can't I throw don't. small objects. There are occasional incidents where you can throw things. That's about it.
1: Actually, you can catch those things too. I spent a <laughs> moment uh, in one of the rooms for whatever reason. It, once it dawned on me that it might be possible. I had a pillow that I would throw up and then go over and catch.
0: Emergent gameplay.
1: <laughs> you know, the the designers set the rules, you know, it's up to us to, you know, explore them.
0: Hmm. So there there the A plot is uh is Sam's story, but there's a lot of sort of B plot as well, which uh is the uh the story of the house itself and the uncle who lived there um the story of the dad and his relationship with his father and his writing career uh, and the dad's relationship with his wife who um is <laughs> in turn having a relationship uh so uh apparently the mom is uh is considering or perhaps actively having an affair with someone from work Ranger uh, Rick Ranger Rick oh my god Ranger Rick and all of her her uh, romance novels, my god. Um, but yeah, the, the Sam and, and Lonnie story is the only one that's explored through actual journals. That's the one that we probably feel the most connected to because we hear Sam's voice. And, uh, as a side note, the voice acting in this game is phenomenal. I think that the girl doing the voice of Sam is terrific. Um, she's pretty much the only voice we hear, but really spot on.
1: Yeah, and they do a good job of mixing it up, too. Like, we're pretty much learning all this through written stuff. Mm -hmm. So, it, but it's not, it's a lot of letters, but again, it's 1995. But there's also, like, invoices for certain things and, like, receipts for different things. And uh, that kind of, you make your own assumption from it. It's not just, like, you pick up a letter and it's, hi, I'm having an affair with this guy. You know, it's a letter from a friend asking to hear a little bit more about the new ranger who they've been talking about so much and things like that. One thing that I noticed that I thought was pretty funny is they have a bar and behind the bar in a box is where you find the letter from the publishing company saying that they're no longer going to be publishing the the father's books. And the fact that it's behind the bar is funny to me because you can just kind of imagine somebody there drinking heavily reading and rereading their their you know letter telling them they've essentially lost their job
0: mm-hmm. every object in the game is evocative in that way and it's always more than just what do you find it's where and in what circumstance do you find it there's a lot of situations like that um one that i can say you probably haven't gotten to, Nate, so I probably I don't want to spoil anything too. Well, don't in depth, worry about but... me
1: individually.
0: Sure. And we've we've talked about spoilers. Um the uh when you get to the towards the end of the game, um, and you know that the parents relationship has been kind of um apart, and in the early parts of the game, most of the things that belong to the parents you're finding are, you know, you can tell that these are people that this is a relationship that isn't functioning properly. But then towards the end of the game um, you start finding, uh, some of their things that seem to kind of indicate that they're getting back together or, 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 not that they're getting back together, but that they're trying to repair their relationship. And, uh, the very last, uh, one of the very last rooms that you enter in the game is a greenhouse. And you can see that the father has moved his typewriter, uh, out there into the green route, greenhouse. And that kind of touched me because you realize that he's moved it out there so that he can write near where his wife is is working on her garden and it, it, it's it's not an object that says and they're feeling really good about things they're repairing their relationship they're being positive it's more just environmental you see yeah oh, you know that you know that that object is important to him and that those objects are important to her and and what they say about their behavior in their daily life and and it, it, you don't have to find a letter that says i love my husband again that's one of the things I liked best about the, the, towards the end of the game is that they do a wonderful job of kind of showing how the characters have changed. You know, you're, you think of when you walk into this house as, you know, you're picking up what's in someone's life and that seems like a static thing. But because you're exploring the house in stages and you're seeing these objects and hearing these journal entries kind of in an order, it actually, there is an arc for all of the characters. It's kind of an interesting, it's fascinating that they're able to do an arc for these characters in the form of walking through a, you know, all of these objects are in place when before you ever walk in the front door of the house, and yet the story that it tells has an arc for every character.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I, I think you might have already said it, but that that's basically the game's biggest success, uh, is you think, you, you seemingly randomly work your way through these stories but each of them do have a perfect progression that you kind of stumble upon.
0: Yeah, you don't need to get a guide for this game. You can jump into it and have faith in the game designers that you are going to experience at least most of everything in the game in an order that's going to work and make sense for you. It's really a wonderful yeah. achievement. I'm
1: at, way. and to kind of tie it all into the concept of the show, I'm at about two and a half, two hours, two and a half hours, and I would say about 20 minutes of that went away from me getting uh, essentially lost. But again, I don't think most people will. I just, you know, there's two things right next to each other, and I only looked at one of them, so mm-hmm. it was no. mostly my fault on that one.
0: Speaking of the arc of the characters, I think if the if the game has one flaw for me to criticize, it is uh, that Katie herself, the the main character that you're playing, didn't really feel like a fully fleshed out character to me she's come home from she's come home from school and she experiences all of these things and i mean in tried and true video game sense she is an avatar for the player mm-hmm. but in that way like we don't have much in the way of indication of her reaction to any of these incredibly troubling and revealing things that she's finding out about her family in uh, this very unusual and sometimes scary situation, she finds herself in.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, basically, I was running. You're running around tearing apart the house looking for clues, and there is very little distress coming from you. Those little quotes that pop up, or those little one lines that pop up when you investigate particular objects, never seem to have any sort of stress behind them or real concern for anything. It's just like, oh, she had that in the fourth grade. Oh, Dad. Oh, Sam. You know, stuff like that. Nothing is really too stressful.
0: Well, I think that is sort of by design. I see that could be considered something negative about the game, but I feel like their their choice was to make this, you know, this is, she's, she's the Link in this Legend right, of Zelda. The... She's the silent protagonist that um, you as a as the player can project your emotions and your thoughts onto. And so I feel like in a way it's better this way. I I think it's nice that we don't have, you know, this game wouldn't work in a third person perspective with a person wandering around talking to themselves.
1: Yeah. And that's fair. They don't want you to, they don't want to make assumptions for you. Mm -hmm. If she was running around behaving stressed then you as the player would have to feel stressed if and it's not a particularly stressful environment mm-hmm. to the player, though it probably would be for someone in real life who came home and their entire house was empty and for you
0: know Well, a real person probably also wouldn't be concerned they're gonna be attacked by a zombie.
1: That's a fine point. And also probably wouldn't open up every single drawer, throw everything <laughs> onto the floor. And, you know, run around in circles, tossing a pillow in the air and catching it for a moment. You
0: don't live in my house. I didn't toss everything onto the floor, you slob.
1: I threw virtually everything you can on the floor.
0: (laughs) And you can throw a lot of things on the floor. For
1: what it's worth, there are sometimes things underneath other things that you discover. So it was was partially because I found some sort of weird satisfaction in it partially because of the game mechanics and partially a way to help me keep track of each room. Mm -hmm. Uh, I emptied out the fridge though. I was like, you open up the fridge and it's full of stuff that you can open, you can move. And I'm sitting there thinking like, if I can move this stuff, then maybe there's something in here that I need. And there's not spoilers. I (laughs) took out everything from that fridge. Like, bottles of ketchup (laughs) like vegetables it's like and the whole time i'm like there's no way there's anything in this fridge but i gotta know
0: all of those useless useless objects are lovingly created in this game you can pick up and move almost every household object that you can imagine and almost almost none of them have any relevance to the story the vast
1: majority of them that don't mess making simulator yeah it is it hey and I think that's probably why, you know, I said I'm at like two and a half hours. I think if you were really, you started the game, and you're like, I want to progress the story and I want to move through it in a pretty quick, logical path, you could probably finish this game in under two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm at two I and did. a half, but I have thrown everything everywhere and gotten lost.
0: So. I completed the game right at two hours. Um, although I, I will say, I'm pretty sure I examined every object, but... I didn't, um, well, I I also was, I was kind of OCD about putting them back. And most things, I <laughs> so, I picked them up, I turned them over once to make sure that there wasn't anything written on them, and I put them exactly back where they had come from. Ah,
1: so we had incredibly different experiences.
0: Well, I didn't want to be messy.
1: <laughs> that probably says a lot about the, our characters.
0: <laughs> there ought to be some stats at the end where they rank you on the mess you make. Oh, that would be fascinating. <laughs> like The Walking Dead does. Oh, do they? Oh, they do. Uh, it's like you know, at the end of a of a chapter, they'll tell you, uh, "You and thirty percent of players decided to kill so and so." It makes oh, you think: funny. Am I a monster? I'm yeah. only in. I'm only in the thirty percent of players who decided to kill so and so. I actually think that more games should do that. I think it's a wonderful way to kind of, in a single player game, it's a wonderful way to kind of uh, uh, make Open you think about other bit. choices you could have made at the end. Maybe, yeah. maybe make you go back and try a new thing.
1: That's, that's an interesting thing, too, that it would, I, it's hard to know where you stand with the rest of the video game playing world. Like, I ran into that a lot as, like, a kid you'd play. You know, I thought that I was the single greatest Super Smash Bros. player in the world. Because I, I could demolish everybody that I played with. So I was like, oh, I'm probably one of the best.
0: <laughs> oh, that must have been so sad for you.
1: And it's just that you owned the system and they were
0: visiting your house.
1: <laughs> well, you, you know, I like to give myself a little bit more credit than that, but yeah, that probably played a part in it. But uh, it is interesting to be able to take a, a a single player game or a game that could only be played at your house with other people, and at least see some com- you know comparables between other people playing it.
0: That is, I think, why Twitch streaming is so interesting. Yeah, I, I'm not actually really a Um, uh, big on watching Twitch streams, you know, but I actually see the appeal in, in this particular angle. It's like, if I am, if I think I'm okay at a game, I'm pretty sure I can go right onto that website and see somebody live right now playing that game better. And that's actually kind of interesting.
1: There's this girl. Her name is Lonnie. She gave me this tape and said, you have got to listen to this.
0: Well, is there anything else we want to touch on with uh, Gone Home? Yeah, I'd like us to I'd like us to complete on, on Gone Home uh, with maybe uh, Reagan. You had you had put in some interesting things that I don't think I saw uh, in the outline. I'd love to hear you talk about this Oscar plot that I don't think I really understood. And then I, I'd be happy to talk about it, because I, I think it falls under interactive fiction. So I'm I'd be Oh, yeah, let's talk about that. Well, so with the Oscar plot, and again, this is spoilers, Nate, have you been into the basement catacombs or basement um, passageways yet? Catacombs? I don't know if yes. you call them catacombs. That's probably a stretch. But there's a lot of little twisty little passageways um, in and around the house and in the basement. Uh, so first off, Oscar is the name of the uncle that um, Terry, the dad, inherited the um, the house from. And of all of the plots, it's probably the most difficult to figure out what's going on. So I guess actually I'm kind of interested. I know you're not done with the game and it, but it's not something you have to get done with the game to really explore. Nate, have you on your playthrough, um, found much of the Oscar, uh, Uncle Oscar, dead Uncle Oscar's, uh, plotline?
1: Um, only that the Sam and Lonnie believe that he is haunting the house Mm -hmm. and they tried to contact him through a Ouija board which they apparently successfully did uh you find it you know I found the note or rather the the their game of Ouija Mm -hmm. where Oscar responds to them uh
0: I first of all think that that is probably just teenagers playing around with a Ouija board i don't think anyone is actually responding to them because i think that's outside the world of the game
1: i mean that's the whole if you believe that Ouija is real mm-hmm. is the first part of that and yeah. then even if you do you know whether that one would be a real response or not
0: yeah but um oscar so the the main place where you discover information about that plot line is in a locked safe in the basement and it's actually Probably the one, the trickiest thing in the game is, is getting into that safe. Um, but the, what you learn before opening the safe is that, um, Oscar, um, didn't speak to the rest of his family, uh, for many, many years, and it's not entirely clear why. Um, he ran a drugstore in the town that they're in, um, but the, that that, drugstore closed down and he essentially became some kind of a hermit, like he lived in his house but spoke to no one, didn't speak to his family, Um uh, that when Terry, the dad, was younger, he used to come to the house and uh visit as a kid, Um but then sometime in the 1960s, and it, if you look, it seems to be right around the time of the assassination of President Kennedy. Um, which clearly plays a big part in Terry's life. Um, right around that time, um, he stopped coming. He's like, he stopped going to the house and you can tell that because there's in the basement, there's a height chart. First of all, it's kind of creepy that it's in the basement, but whatever, uh, in the basement, there's one of these things where kids mark their height against a wall and, um, Terry's heights are marked there with dates, uh, leading right up until whatever date that would be in the 1960s. And then they stop. Um, so without getting into the, um, the safe, you can tell that something kind of strange there happened. It was that in the sixties, um, Uncle Oscar and Terry's father, whose name I don't know if we learn or don't remember, um, got on well enough to go and visit each other along with, um, along with Terry, the kid. Um, but that sometime around the time of the Kennedy assassination, all of that stopped and, um, Uncle Oscar stopped talking to his family. If you get into the safe, you discover some interesting objects including um a bottle of an i think it's a couple of full bottles of morphine and a letter from Oscar uncle Oscar to his sister uh which would be Terry's uh um aunt uh a, where she had written to him and he I, you know, I I don't recall the exact wording but long story short um he he wrote this slightly obscure letter saying that he wasn't going uh that, that you know he wasn't going to speak to them anymore um and that he had closed down the uh the drugstore because of uh temptation. So there's two ways, there's sort of two competing theories, if you will, about what's going on with Oscar. And there's the really gross one and there's the one that I believe that is less gross. Um, some people on the internet have expressed a theory that uh, Oscar um, and I think, actually, if you don't get into the um, to the safe, it's much easier to believe this, uh, that Oscar molested Terry uh, and that that event happened leading up to the 1960s um, and that it was in the 60s when this all happened and around the time of the president being assassinated, it was all discovered. And that was why they didn't speak anymore, um, was that uh, Terry had been molested. And that's never explicitly said, but in a way, it kind of makes sense if you look at the aspect of... Um, uh, you know, that that they went away, that Terry kind of became a recluse, uh that he clearly the kids stopped visiting at that time because that's when they stopped marking it on the wall. And there's other creepy things in the basement, like there's some toys in the basement, there's these markings on the wall in the basement. Was Uncle Oscar bringing the little kids down into the basement to molest them? And was that why he was marking their height on the wall down there? Well, why I else don't... would you take a child to a basement? Well, it is kind of creepy. That's a creepy basement. Well, anyway um but actually what i think is much more likely is that he was a drug addict um that terry uh locked that morphine in his safe to keep himself from using it um that he closed his drug store to keep himself from accessing the morphine um and that uh that his drug addiction had ruined his life to the point where he felt he couldn't relate to his family anymore and he stopped seeing them um or that his sister um now that I think about it, I'm having a hard time remembering whether the letter was him rejecting his sister or his sister rejecting him. But in any case, um, I, I I lean towards the side of it being Uncle Oscar was a drug addict who died uh, alone and rejected by his family. Um, and not that Uncle Oscar was a child molester who died alone and rejected by his family. Uh, yeah, both so I mean, uplifting.
1: That, will The former there seems to fit more within the tone of the of the story. I think probably a molester who has died is probably a little heavier than than they're looking for. But
0: I don't know. It's a pretty heavy story. I I would find. I I mean, I don't. I don't see it's completely impossible that that's the case. But I just it doesn't it doesn't strike me as the most likely in this case. But I I think it's a reasonable. (laughs) Uh, a reasonable theory i just, it, it I don't see it in this case, yeah. but I, I thought it was really interesting that that was that story was much more open to interpretation and much more difficult to unravel than the rest of the story because you really have to dig, you have to find that safe, you have to open it, you have to have seen a lot of other stuff as well, like notice the height chart against the wall and a lot of other things, so there's a lot to it um i I thought that was one of the little rewards of the game was was unraveling that. Much more hidden plot, and I know it's many people play through the whole game without really finding that stuff.
1: Yeah, I went through the basement and I did not notice that the, uh, the uh, I'm sorry height chart, hmm. the height chart. I I did not notice that
0: so. it's near the safe, so you may actually not be able to get to that area yet.
1: I've I've seen the safe. Oh, okay, uh, but that's it.
0: And there's a creepy little horse toy on wheels down there as well. One of the creepiest moments in the game was, like, that horse toy kind of moves. I think, yeah. like, you kick it or something, but I don't know, and it just sort of moves. And that was, like, the creepiest moment in the entire game. Um, Any other stuff to talk about with the plot?
1: Uh The only other thing that kind of came to my mind while uh we've been uh talking, and this is very minor... But it was kind of fun to see the story of Allegra, which is pretty funny. Uh, it's super minor; it's like a D plot, if anything. Um, but Sam, the the sister that you're kind of exploring, is also a creative writer, like her father, and has this story about kind of an explorer named Allegra, and you find a a like story uh, like a children's drawing of Allegra you kind of follow Allegra just like you follow everything else you find like five or six different stories written by Sam from ages like four all the way up until her current age and it's just kind of interesting to read how she kind of progresses as a writer
0: that was great and my favorite aspect of those stories was the fact that Allegra's first mate in the early stories is a man and then as she's starting to discover these things about herself, she has the first mate fall into a vat that turns the first mate female. Yep. That was really amusing to me. And actually, I think that that happens slightly before she's really realized or really, like, put together her Yeah, on the,
1: on the timeline of her as a person, yes. As you, as the player, you already know yeah. that she's... Uh... Learn that about herself but yeah Mm -hmm. it's pretty funny
0: what a what a great multi-level game i I think everything about this game's story grabbed me and um i i got really deeply involved with the characters and the plot so that was probably my favorite thing about the game
1: would you would you say that you were a fan of this game
0: i would say (laughs) that i am an unabashed fan of this game i loved everything about it i hadn't quite picked that up yet reagan when the dlc comes out you can get the zombie mode will you buy it Oh, without question. Okay, so I I wanted to say a few things about the game. Um, I kn- I know um I I'm gonna catch a little flack from Reagan on this, but I did not feel like this game had the the key element of a game, which is challenge. I wasn't I wasn't challenged by this game. It- it's interesting to me that that this is even being described as a game. It's only described that way, I believe, because there's no other good category for this form of entertainment. No other good way to describe it. Uh, interactive fiction comes close, but I don't think that you can really pigeonhole it in that way. It's it, The first time I've ever had something that was truly story front and center and other elements far, far behind that still had the trappings of something that was first person uh a, a you know quote unquote shooter uh in terms of controls and in terms of your interaction with it so uh that was truly unique for me I see where you're coming from so uh I disagree but not in a serious way like I certainly recognize that this game lacks a uh challenge aspect and um I think if you define a game as a uh, interactive experience that challenges the player, then certainly, yeah, this fails that test. But then I feel you're kind of constructing the test just to exclude this game. Gone Home features a story and gameplay. Its, it's gameplay mechanic may be simply picking up objects and investigating them. But, um, I don't think that challenge is the thing that defines a game or, or, uh, or separates games from whatever else you think this might be called. But I, I certainly think you you know, you know have a valid point.
1: Um, to me, it seemed like a mystery game. And I know that's not exactly right, because we're not really puzzling anything. But we've been sitting here talking the entire time about the dots that you connect. And that, to me, is the gameplay, is trying to figure out what's going on and Mm -hmm. though the clues are handed to you essentially you're still the one you know deducing it and coming up with what exactly happened
0: so what you're saying is the game is in your mind
1: exactly so it's sure it's not necessarily challenging
0: well i don't know i think in some ways that it does have challenge the challenge is being able, the challenge is asking the player to look at a bunch of junk and figure out what happened, to tell themselves a story based on a bunch of junk.
1: I understand. I think interactive fiction is, is a very good way to describe mm-hmm. it, but I w- was thinking about stuff way too much for it to be like a fiction but you know, interactive fiction. I was trying to figure out way too much for me to consider it interactive fiction.
0: Yeah. This is no choose your own adventure. And in fact, there is no choice to be made. There's apart from choosing, like, I'll explore this room and then this room, or I'll pick up this object and not that object. Uh, there's no meaningful choices to be made. There's no branches to the plot. It's, it's an investigation. Um, and I think, I think it absolutely is a game. Um, but that it is a game of trying to Stay one step ahead of the story that you're unraveling. It definitely succeeded in its aims of making me care about the characters and I, it, the the key thing that makes that makes a game. It did have, which is that you felt motivated to continue. You know, you, you had that motivation to continue with it. You know, uh, something is a game to me primarily because it's you know enjoyable and it's played you know so it had that definitely but is it a video game in the traditional sense obviously not does it uh con conform- it was it was a very strange hybrid of fiction and Gameplay with so many of the elements that i can I would typically expect from a game stripped away that I just feel strange calling it a game at all all right, well, fair
1: and I think that's what they're trying to accomplish though so uh, huge success,
0: whether a game or not it is a huge success,
1: <laughs> yeah exactly, like I think they if you ask them. Is this a game? It would not surprise me if their response is, "What do you think?" You know, yeah. I think that's probably what they were trying to accomplish. So,
0: well, awesome. So, I feel like we've pretty thoroughly <laughs> plumbed yeah. the depths of the game. Uh, gone home, uh, and I will use continue to use. <laughs> what are we? Two too. hours in?
1: Yeah. Um
0: I think we probably are. And so, I think we we'll, we may need to save the Stanley Parable for another uh, episode. So I uh, I think this is a really interesting uh, interesting game, and I'm really glad you guys got a chance to uh, play it and that we could all discuss it together. I really hope more people get to play this game. I know it's been a big success. It's been on a lot of lists. It's sold a lot of copies, which is uh, great for a game that is, uh, you know, I think it's, it's going to give hope to other game designers who might want to tell these same kinds of stories or, create these same kind of experiences. Um a big commercial success like Gone Home, you know, working with a small budget and creating this really successful thing. Um, I think we'll I I hope we see more of these and I think that we're going to. Um, So I'm really glad we got to get together and talk about this game and we're probably going to do another one of these soon and talk about uh the Stanley Parable, another game that has a lot in common and so much different from uh, Gone Home, a really amazing game, uh, so I hope you'll join us for that episode as well, coming up. Um, yeah.
1: uh, I have to say The Stanley Parable, I, I really really have enjoyed Gone Home, absolutely. I'm on the side of it. Uh, would recommend it to friends, but The Stanley Parable is probably one of my, it instantly became one of my more favorite games. So- absolutely.
0: Uh-huh. In the Stanley Parable, Gone Home, I would recommend to anybody. The Stanley Parable, if you're a gamer, and you don't play the Stanley Parable, you're no longer my friend. I,
1: uh, I had all of my roommates do one run through of the Stanley Parable just to see what everybody did on their one run through. And it was pretty interesting. We'll talk about that next time. All
0: right. Consider that a teaser, gentlemen. I'm teased. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. And if you want to check out the show notes, where we're going to have all the links to all the things we discussed in the episode today. You could find those at theshortgame.net. Uh, also, please follow us on Twitter, where we will be tweeting irregularly about nothing. Uh, we are at underscore shortgame. Uh, I was Reagan Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Reagan K. Spelled R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Uh, Shane is? At 8BitShane. And Nate.
1: My personal Twitter is at Nate S-T-L Though I'd be lying if I said I really contributed to it. Um you can follow me at my band's Twitter, which is I kinda am the chief behind that at Bear Hive, Bearhive B E A R H I V E. It's in a band. Yes. And that's here's the I'm not super I have a hard time buying into like in extreme social media, so uh I use my band one as my personal one because I I don't I cannot commit to two Twitter feeds so <laughs> I use the I use
0: my banned one as my primary one. Well, and, Nate, I I understand because my Twitter feed is basically sixty five percent pictures of cocktails. Well, if you want to send us feedback, the best way to do that would be on Twitter at underscore short game, and uh, we'd be happy to hear from you and any feedback or anything you'd like us to talk about in a future episode. We want to hear from you. So, thanks so much for joining us, and this was uh, the first inaugural episode of The Short Game.